What is going on, everybody? Uh, today's episode of the Golf Guide podcast is brought to you by GolfGuide.net. Uh, visit GolfGuide.net, search for great places to play golf, and save 30 to 70% off on golf courses all over the West Coast, mainly in Northern California, but we got a couple in Southern California, Oregon, and Nevada as well. So just keep in mind, GolfGuide.net, find some great golf, and uh, save a little money when you get, decide to go out and play. And uh, without further ado, although that term is probably pretty played out, uh, without any further delay, another episode of the Golf Guide Podcast. Everybody, welcome. Hey, hey. Hey, 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 hey. Welcome back to another uh, wonderful episode of the Golf Guide Podcast. Kyle, here with Casey. What's going on, Casey? Not too much. How are you, Kyle? You know, I'm great, man. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah. As always, at, uh, getting a chance to sit down with you and just talk some golf and just hang out and drink a beer is always you, one of my favorite hours or, or two of the week. I'm happy you made it back from Atlanta. You, you didn't uh, disappear like... MH370 or anything? I, I, you know, I did not. Um, actually, I got a chance to play some golf when I was down in the South, and I have to tell you, I've never had a larger appreciation for golf on the West Coast than after you get to play 18 holes on just shitty, dead Bermuda grass. So I take it you didn't get out to Augusta like you were hoping? Uh, my Yeah, I, I was not actually able to make it out to the club. Oh, um, you had a schedule conflict? Well, I, I have to say I... I basically faulted on my plan of penning a letter to the active members of the club and, you know, alerting them of my availability. I, I didn't actually follow through with that plan. I so think that's fine. Perhaps next time I go down there, maybe I'll, I'll put something together like that. You know, hmm. who knows? Well, yeah, I, that'll work. you probably know what the outcome will be, but, you know. It, yeah, yeah. It would, it's, a, it's an interesting story. It's least. a good, yeah, I was about to say, it's a good basis for a piece in the golf guide. Mm -hmm. Maybe see if you get any responses. Yeah, yeah, that would be... Uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see that. Well, Maybe, we, yeah. we we went into that a little bit last week, but uh, so we we won't bore anybody with uh, with too many stories about that one again. But um, yeah, since we last talked, great golf tournament. Yep. I mean, as good as a golf tournament can be in Florida, it was good. Um, it was good. You, the the thing that saves these Florida tournaments is that there are good fields. Yeah, totally. a lot of good players down there. Do you know why? I mean, I guess this weekend's tournament, you know, the WGC um and Doral is obviously it's a WGC event so it's going to attract a really top-notch field but what do you think it is about the Florida swing that actually more of the better players come out to is just the sponsors um you know part of it part of it mu it must be that uh a lot of them live down there yeah and I'm, it's before the Masters so they're all kind of over in this neck of the woods anyway mm -hmm. um, the WGC they that has its own thing sure but yeah, they they all know that they're going to, since one of the events is a WGC, they know they're going to be around for that, so they add a couple of other Florida events while they're at it, and they're not going to go too far away because they've got the Masters coming up and they want to be rested for it, so I, that, that must be it. They might even like the courses. Uh, I, I There's no accounting for taste. It's very possible. Yeah, no, I, I, I would tend to agree with that as well. Um, and PGA National, where they just got done playing, it's a Nicholas design, is it not? It is. And Nicholas, I like his courses. I think he's a good designer, although it's it's not. He produces a difficult golf course in almost everywhere that he goes. Um, they're always very challenging, especially for bogey golfers or, or worse. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, you do get a little bit. If you're me, you get a little, uh, <laughs> which you might be. You get a little bit unnerved seeing so many of the pros hit so many balls in the water. Jesus, man. I feel it's kind of exciting, but it's also. Enough to make you question whether the course is too hard. Yeah, totally. Well, let, let's get into it a Nobody little bit. Nobody likes here. dropping a ball. That's not really golf, no. is it? No. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is. It's in the rules, but in 2016, it is golf. But if you're asking, you know, was that part of the game as it was originally, you know, intended? No. There but, were some burns and things I mean, like that, but hummocks here and here and about. But, right. You know, no, nothing. No huge man-made water hazards. No. You know, yeah, it's just there weren't scuba divers retrieving balls <laughs> for the black market uh, in Scotland. I, I recently read an article that that could be a very lucrative business. You Did know, you really? That there was a there's one gentleman in particular who, oh man, I don't have my sources in front of me because you know it, that's something I read several months ago. But yeah, there's just this one guy who started like a small little company, and he just fields golf balls and resells them to golf courses. The guy makes like a million dollars a year. That would be a lot of fun. 
to tell you the truth. Except you're, you know, swimming around in water with shit wafting in it. But other than that, it'd be pretty sweet. Other than that. Other than that, it'd be very pleasant and pr- very exciting, I would yeah, imagine. At least nothing's living in there. Well, that you know of. Right. <laughs> but I enjoy I enjoyed watching the tournament. Uh it is incredible how Sergio doesn't seem to be able to close the deal on the PGA Tour. Uh, he he the the broadcast mentioned that he has won globally mm-hmm. in pretty recent times, but he's been in contention a lot on the PGA Tour, and then he never seems to be able to putt as well. Yeah, on Sunday as he does the rest of the week. Yeah, well, it's. Oddly enough that you mentioned Sergio. Um, so, I mean, we're talking about last weekend's Honda Classic where Sergio went into Sunday with a share of the lead with Adam Scott, and he kind of just blew it. And then uh, one of our writers, uh, one of our senior writers, Rick Vasek, actually put an article together in Golf Guide's March newsletter, um, which if you are not subscribed to the newsletter, visit golfguide.net. You can just put your uh, put your email in there. We just sent out one newsletter with you know an article and a couple links to some cool stuff happening on the website once a month. Um, but he wrote a column called The Pressure Point where he's just basically talking about some golfers like Sergio just something about them does not allow them to get into the zone when you know it's tight on Sunday and it, you know his, his line is closing you know salespeople know how important closing is and so do golfers except Sergio <laughs> I, I I think he wants it too much that's got to be it and there is a, a thing that he goes through in Florida probably with these hecklers mm-hmm. I know he's had it at, at Sawgrass uh, he's not the only golfer who goes through that, and other guys push past it. Mm-hmm. But that might be an element that he just is never comfortable because he's always afraid that you know if it gets to be the time where he's going to make a putt to win, that some guy's going to yell out in his backswing. I remember at uh, Sawgrass, mm-hmm. I think it was last year. It was that amazing tournament that Ricky Fowler ended up winning, and right. it was against Kevin Kisner. Mm-hmm. And Sergio, and Sergio put a great show on down the stretch, and he made a bomb on 17 to stay relevant. And then I think he he was only defeated really by Sergio, or excuse me, by Ricky Fowler's extraordinary finish down the stretch. Sure. So he he doesn't always fade, but but is that because he wasn't in the final group? Could maybe be. could maybe. Be. I, to be honest with you, it's kind of remarkable that Sergio was even he had a share of the lead after 54 holes to begin with. Because, I mean, Adam Scott was running away with that thing after Fowler started to crumble on Saturday. And Until it, and homeboy fucking what quadded? Seventeen quadded with only one penalty stroke, I think. Right? <sighs> was it no, one? there were two. No, he put two he balls in the water. Two balls in the water. That's right. Unbelievable. That was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the first shot in the water, fair enough. It's a hard shot. Right. The second one was like a 95 yard wedge that he flew too long which is a a real terrible mistake yeah really really bad and honestly when you think about a guy just imploding on a golf hole like that the fact that he was able to pull it together and then hold a lead and win on sunday was actually just really impressive i get the sense that adam scott doesn't have a soul (laughs) so anything that happens to him doesn't affect him it just doesn't matter yeah, I guess so. I mean, dude, talk about stones. I mean, just he's putting cool, two he, of them into the water and then, you know, sacking up with the ones he still got left and, and finishing up and winning a golf tournament. Respect. Yeah, yeah well, the guy's, Respect. A, guy's a good player. Yeah. Guy's, guy's been through a worse heartbreak than that. If you watch a guy miss a six-foot putt at the Open Championship to win, mm. and you know, yeah. it's probably the easiest putt I ever saw in my life. <laughs> that, that uh, you know, he's been through a lot worse, so yeah. nothing affects him anymore. No, I, I wouldn't imagine so, and... It was funny after he won the tournament. I saw a lot of articles, you know, being posted over around the internet, where people just blowing Adam Scott's golf swing, just being like, "It's the most beautiful golf swing." And I thought this for a long time, but are, are people just starting to notice how good Adam Scott is at golf? It, no, they, 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 no, he's been he was the number one player in the world. That's what I mean. The man's won a fucking Masters. You know, he's been a top player in the world for a long time. But there was an no, uncharacteristically he, high amount of people being like, "Wow, Adam Scott's swing is so beautiful." It's like, I think that's been said for a while. Yeah. I mean, it's he's it's forgettable gore- though because he he lacks intensity and he doesn't win a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got the one major. He's always up there. Well, the one thing I will say that is really impressive about this is this is the first year that he doesn't have his his cheater putter. Right. And he's switched the plastic, and all of a sudden he's got a victory only less than three months into the PGA Tour season. Just goes fucking to, impressive. Yeah. And of course, that argument cuts both ways. And I've had disagreements with people about the the long putter and whether it should be banned. I think it's good that it's banned. 
Mm-hmm. But, and, and you know, you can go both different ways with this. You you are doing great without it, so why'd you ever need it? Right, right. But then maybe it's not such a huge advantage to have it. Yeah. But I think that it must be under pressure. Yeah, I would imagine so, because when you're under pressure, I would think that you're you kind of default to just the intangible skills and just the, the, the feel of greens and you're kind of just going off muscle memory more so than actually, you know, thinking and calculating things in your head when you're making a putting stroke. And if he's comfortable with a long stick, that's what works best. And you could say the same for a short putter. Um, and the fact that he felt as comfortable as he did and was able to actually make a lot of putts down the stretch and win a tournament is... Guys, golf game's incredible. I'll be curious to see, because there are a lot of golf nerds out there, s- stats nerds, mm-hmm. Somebody will do the analysis. I'll be curious to see whether all the long putter guys, as a group, do worse putting this year than they did previously. Yeah. And you would expect it to be the case because they're all switching putters. Right. Even that kind of change can make a And not just switching like, you know, a putter like we're ahead. Like, you're changing the whole approach to putting. That too. Yeah. Uh, I know Keegan Bradley uh, is really struggling. Mm-hmm. He is missing a ton of of short and medium distance putts. So it could be the case that some guys can't bounce back from it. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see. I do hope that one of the, uh, you know, golf rider out there with access to all that information who wants to put the time together, um, I, I would be fascinated to read something like that to see what it's like. Mark, Br- Mark Brody or somebody will do it. Somebody. It's too interesting not to. Yeah, it, it's really, really good. But, uh, yeah, so yeah, Honda Classic, Adam Scott wins by, you know, wins by one stroke over Sergio. Graham McDowell was close. Ricky Fowler was playing tremendous golf, had a big, huge lead uh, after Friday, and then just imploded, just completely shit all over his own feet, and just it, it which did. is a shame. It would it would have been great to see. How Ricky did the shit even? Group. How did the shit even get to his feet with the tight cuffs on the bottom of the pants? Uh, perhaps it was you know stowed away in his shin calf area because of the the elastic bottoms of the joggers and slowly leaked. Down, ank- down his ankles onto the the tops of his he looked like a respective Cle- feet. He, he looked like a Cleveland Browns player <laughs> by the end of the weekend. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, we we touched on Ricky Fowler before, but like, it would have been really awesome to see him and Adam Scott and Sergio. It just the fact that he wasn't yeah. even in a position to be really genuinely competitive on Sunday was a, it was a real fucking shame because let's let's take this more broad. We, we've we gotten a couple of great major showdowns lately. I'm thinking about the PGA Championship in 2014, which is one of the best majors I've ever seen, that had McElroy going up against Phil. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it was terrific. But in general, with the majors, they are really good. But, but they don't always feature marquee, evenly pitched battles. Sure. The U.S. Open was pretty good last year for that. But the PGA, mm-hmm. you know, it had Day and Spieth, but it wasn't much of a battle. Day had the edge the whole time. Right. U.S. Open was the same. Uh, DJ, Spieth, Spieth really did have the edge the whole time. He double bogeyed 17, and, mm-hmm. and Johnson had the eagle putt, and we all know what happened. But we we haven't had that epic back and forth between the greatest players all succeeding at the same time. And the odds mm-hmm. are long. It's golf. But yeah. I'm dying for the Masters where... Rory and Spieth are in the same group and they're playing evenly the whole day and Sunday and then Fowler's making a charge from behind in the pack. And yeah. Then, you know, it, when are we going to get that? Well, I, I hope that, you know, we, we can only hope that, you know, when Augusta rolls around that all those guys are at least in the mix and especially hoping that maybe a couple of them are playing with each other in one of the last groups. That that would be, I mean, it's what golf needs. Yeah. You, the rivalries are not sharp because we haven't had those epic final matches like uh you know Federer and Nadal that's the good thing about tennis they always have it so their great players are, are facing, facing off, off with one of them winning and nobody else is around yeah and golf lacks that structure I mean I just don't know if there's anything they could do because there's finish. nothing they can do it's it's just what I'm hoping happens yeah well when when Augusta does roll around those guys being competitive would certainly be a captivating and really crucial um, part of making that one of the more memorable Masters tournaments there's been in a long time. Um, they have odds out yeah. for Augusta already. You, you they probably over? had them out since last year. They probably last, have, which last April. They're constantly switching and, and, and 
you know, changing um, Tell with me. the way Spieth is playing been playing the last couple of weeks yeah. and with days kind of absence um, from a lot of the tournaments, you would expect to kind of see some other guys jumping up to the top of the Masters odds. However, hmm. um, as of right now, according to Vegas Insider, um, Jordan Spieth is still the favorite to win at Augusta. His odds are at 11 to 2 right now. Okay. So I'm a little surprised. I'm a little surprised as well. He's the number one player in the world. Mm-hmm. He has a victory this year. His bad finishes are not that horrible. I mean, he had a second place in Singapore that everybody thinks is a bad finish. And well, he missed the fucking cut. He did. Two, two weeks ago. He did. He did. Uh, he's going to be playing at the WGC, and it's going to be very interesting to see how he plays. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll actually get into that because the first round of the WGC just concluded, but we'll, we'll right. go through these Masters odds here first, and then we'll, we'll so jump gonna, into that. you're going to trap me. You're going to trap me here. I will trap you. So um, I, I'm a little surprised that Spieth's... The favorite, but I, I guess the reason for that is that none of the other people who could be the favorites have done enough to show Vegas that they deserve to go ahead of Spieth. I would almost put Bubba Watson ahead, but you never know. He's so temperamental. Bubba Watson currently is the four, has the fourth best odds to win at Augusta in April. What are the odds? So Jordan Spieth is the favorite at 11-2. to two. Um, We'll put this in a little game. You know Bubba's at four, so who... Obviously, who would be at second and third would be... Okay. Second is probably McIlroy. Correct. At 15 to 2. Yeah, that... Okay. Nobody nobody take that bet. So... And then third is Day. Correct. And Jason Day is looking... Uh, his odds are at 17 to 2. So, I mean, what is that? I would take that. Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. He's been I'm threatening to win that tournament for 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And it was sure would be great if he actually did win it. it yeah. It'd be nice it to see cool. if he could show a little more something coming into it but i mean what, what has he played one tournament two tournaments this year yeah he'll be playing this week but so or he okay. is playing this week excuse yeah. me so what are bubba's odds uh bubba is sitting at 12 to 1 everybody put all your money on that yeah that's, that's that's the most attractive bet yeah you're getting more than double the payout for bubba compared to spieth yeah that that's i mean it's not 12 to 1 is decent money for a player who's won this year, who's a two-time absolutely champ, a two-time champion, absolutely. I mean, I, I I don't think it's a mystery. You know, our 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 feelings regarding Bubba Watson, the man, have been well documented on the show. But uh, the Bubba Watson, the golfer, is absolutely tremendous, and Augusta suits his game. And a twelve to one, I I ride. You bet all the monies. I ride all the monies. I ride the Bubba train right to Butler Cabin <laughs> every time <laughs> the Masters rolls around, and it hasn't worked for me because I bet in the wrong years. But yeah, Bubba is to be favored there well your boy Henrik Stenson is 33 to 1 to win at Augusta forget it <laughs> I'll never never <laughs> never what uh, what are uh, Matsuyama and Fowler okay so we'll, we'll go through here just real quickly because then we can kind of get your take on what each one of them are whether you think maybe it's uh I'll, I'll go through them and you just kind of tell me whether or not that's an attractive or stay away sure type scenario yeah yeah because um, so I'm so successful at winning very, very successful. Yeah, right. you, you are a fantasy golf expert, <laughs> yeah, but you right. know, being tied up with work these last couple of weeks, uh, starting hopefully next week or the week after, we'll have a little bit more info uh, regarding Stay- fantasy golf. Because as we said last week, if if you got money, bet it, gamble it. Yeah, history has proven that people who use their money to gamble, it, it always works out for them, and nothing mm-hmm. bad ever happens. So Certainly. definitely do that, and stay tuned for for fantasy golf info and advice yeah absolutely so um we had those top four guys or top five guys excuse me oh no top four uh speed that you know is the yeah, favorite we, right mcelroy day watson ricky fowler's at fifth and he's at 15 to one that's a pretty good bet too it's an interesting yeah it's an interesting bet uh dustin johnson's at 20 to one good bet too phil mickelson's at 20 to one yeah i'm a little scared of phil he's a little too old but he's obviously an augusta horse mm-hmm. absolutely and then you have adam scott at 25 to one that's a good bet too I'd rather take Adam Scott at twenty five than Phil at twenty. There's a lot of Masters winners in that that top top part of that field. Um, yeah, that's really cool, actually. I mean, you go down a little bit, you see Charles Schwartzel at sixty five to one. Ooh, former champion. I'm not bullish enough on him to take him, but sixty five is nice nice money. I mean, it depends know. on the other guys who are at the sixty five range. A good strategy, in my opinion, to betting on the Masters and mm-hmm. making it fun for yourself. Sure. Say you have a hundred bucks that you're willing to wager on the Masters. Say you're going to bet it all on winner bets. So you're willing to lose it all, but if you if you win, you're going to make you're gonna hit. a nice payday. Sure. You have tiers 
of guys that you mm-hmm. put money on. You you bet one of the favorites. You bet somebody in the thirty to fifty range. You bet somebody in the fifty to eighty range. You bet a long shot. I got some interesting information here. Speaking of the eighty range, um, a very prominent golfer with which you are probably familiar with is listed at eighty to one to win the Masters tournament, and he goes by the name of Tiger Woods. Forget it. He's not even. He's not even <laughs> playing. The, the guy can swing a nine iron barely. <laughs> okay, he won't be playing the Masters, obviously. So you know, let's move on. You know what's wild? There's probably still people putting plenty of money on that, thinking that maybe if he plays, he could win. That's uh, it's. It's I, been so. I'm, long. I'm as big of a Tiger fanboy as anybody, but that's that's last year. That's just silly. Last year, I bet a, a few bucks on the Masters and I didn't win any because I took winner bets and I didn't get speed. I bet. Uh, I think ten bucks on Matsuyama at mm-hmm. eighty to one, which I thought was a terrific bet, mm-hmm. and he came in fifth. Uh, that was my most successful attempt. He never really stood a chance of winning because Spieth played so well. But yeah. uh, you can find great value in those eighty, seventy territory. And the Masters, obviously, it's a limited field. There are a lot of shitty players in it who mm-hmm. get in through various amateur tournaments and uh, the lifetime exemption for previous champions. So if you see a good player with long odds, they have a better chance of winning than a, than that same player would in a regular full field PGA tour event. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a, that's a little bit of a tangent here, but you've kind of just inspired me. I think maybe one or two weeks before the master's tournament, it would be crucial. Well, I guess technically that'd only be two or three weeks from right now. Um, You're goddamn right it would. We need to do a really extensive, long yes. Augusta betting um, podcast where each of us actually take 50 to 100 bucks. Beautiful. Put money on the tournament, and then you know we can kind of share with our listeners you know, well, where yours, our thinking and, and everything like that. I, I think that would be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, yours truly is going to Reno ah. for the opening weekend of the March Madness basketball tournament. That is a fantastic choice on your part. So uh, we, we can try to time this stuff we'll figure okay. it out but our i think our listeners can be prepared to have their money spent for them by us absolutely we, we will put our money on the line for your enjoyment please send money in the mail <laughs> yes visit golfguide.net you can find our address and you can send all, all checks payable to golf guide thank yes. you um all right let's get back to the odds here so uh you had adam scott at 25 to 1 justin rose at 25 to 1 snedeker at 28 to 1 um and then your boy Matsuyama and Henrik Stenson are both at thirty-three to one. Any of those stand out for you? I think I'm pretty impressed that Snedeker's odds are better than Matsuyama's and yeah. Stenson's. He has been playing great. He has. He is from Georgia, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. He's from the South. I mean, I know he plays Bridgestone, and Bridgestone's located out of Georgia, so I would assume that's probably, you know, and fairly accurate. He's a great putter, mm-hmm. and putting is you know, paramount. Putting is at, at Augusta. premium at Augusta. I, I just can't believe, I don't think Snedeker is a good bet at those numbers. It seems just like not a good enough payoff right. for a guy who's never won a major. Uh, Stenson, I wouldn't take either. The guy, I, the, just forget it. Never bet him in a major anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or at all. Stenson is a guy you might want to take a top 10 bet if you can get an attractive payout for that, but I wouldn't do it. Hmm. Uh Matsuyama is always a good bet. Yeah, Matsuyama's a good bet. Um, Eventually, he'll win a major. It might as well be this one. Why not? Yeah. Um, at also at 33-1, to one, Patrick Reed and then Brooks Kopka at 40-1. to one. Either of those interest you? Yes. Um, Kepka at 40-1 to one seems nice. He's been playing pretty well. And open champion Zach Johnson is also at 40-1, to one, which... And he's a former Masters I, champion. I like as well. Yeah, that's good too. Yeah. I Reed I took last year in the Masters. Mm-hmm. He had attractive odds. I think it was 40 or 45 and he was playing great. He's playing okay this year too. I I he's a a guy who draws the ball. He's an Augusta State mm-hmm. alumnus. So, I don't think it's terrible odds for him, but I think out of that group I I would uh probably go with Kepka. Yeah. Kepka 40 to 1. And Augusta is an eagle golf course. Mm-hmm. If you are a good enough player, you can handle the par fives at Augusta. Three of them are eagle opportunities. Yeah, totally. 
Um, speaking of not, not to go on off on another tangent here, but did you see the news that they're, Augusta is considering changing and altering the 13th hole? I saw that. Is that they're just going to be lengthening it? Is that lengthening? What I, yes. Aren't they always lengthening the golf course? Yes. So what's is it, is know. it a big deal? I think it's a good idea. Like, uh, probably right. I didn't see what the proposal was exactly, but we all saw what happened when Bubba Watson cut it around that corner and had. 120 yards or what it was disgraceful uh and you know hats off to the guy but we need to move the tee a little bit around i think the the tree line so mm-hmm. it's harder for a guy like him to turn it into a really easy par four yeah and we've sp- spoken about par and it's all just a concept but the hole doesn't play very difficult when you can hit a short iron into that green because it's got a big backstop on it. Yeah, totally. And it feeds down toward most hole locations. So it's a it's a giant prize eagle uh, on the back nine mm-hmm. of a tournament. Sure. So I, I, I agree with lengthening out, out a little bit. Yeah, it's probably and a good it, idea. And it won't be that bad for the players either. I mean, they have to worry right now about going into those trees up on the bank, mm-hmm. it could make the tee shot a little bit easier and also make the approach shot a lot harder. And I like it when guys screw up the uh, third shot, which is exciting. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a good uh, proposal depending on how far the back they put it. Yeah, totally. Uh, let's hear some other highlights from you know the odds for the Masters. Uh, Jimmy Walker, Justin Thomas, Matt Kuchar, what and Brandon just... Grace at 55-1. to Hmm. Well, Justin Thomas at 55 to 1 sounds pretty good. I'm not sure he's ready to win a major yet. Yeah. Uh, Louis Oosthuizen at 60 to 1. That's good. That's like, a good bet. I think that's a good bet. I uh, always bet on Louis. I love Louis Oosthuizen. He almost won the Open Championship. He did. He, he uh, played pretty well. Yeah. Louis, obviously. Louis, Louis is a good bet. Uh, Charles Schwartzel at 65 to 1. Paul I'd, ra- Casey I'd much rather take Oosthuizen at 60 than Schwartzel at 65. Agreed. Uh, Sergio at 65 to 1. That's a good bet. Sergio plays well at Augusta. Yeah. Yeah, 65 to 1 is not He's bad. a cutter, but he seems to play well at Augusta. Yeah, totally. Uh, as I look down a little further on the list, there are some interesting names. Graham McDowell's been playing halfway decent lately, and he's at 125 to 1. Yeah, he, he th- that's for a reason, I think. It's a real long golf course. He's a guy who cuts the ball. It's a hooker golf course for right-handers. Mm-hmm. Billy Horschel also at 20, 125 to 1. I like I like Billy Ho. He uh at 125 to 1, it's worth a couple of bucks on him. Throw two dollars on Billy. Yeah, you know? that's what I'm saying. It's fun. Uh, what does VJ sing? VJ sing. That is a great question. Let me see if I can find. He's my name. favorite long shot bet these days in golf. He comes very close to winning these tournaments. Of course, he's probably not going to win anything, but he he played great this last week in Florida. Mm-hmm. The only real problem is his putting, and he is a he's a clutch player. He's got a giant ego. He's a multiple major champion, of course. He's won the Masters. I'm having a, l- a really difficult time finding finding Control F. <laughs> oh, is that how it works? Yeah. Shit. You know, it, it's odd that I'm looking down. I see odds on Miguel Angel Jimenez, Ben Martin, Webb Simpson, all these guys. What before are the odds I'm on co- ben? Before I'm coming across VJ Singh, which well, is. What are the Ben Martin odds? Ben I love that guy. He kind of looks like me. <laughs> uh, did I just lose his name? Ben Martin is at two fifty to one. That's a good bet too. That's the guy won on tour last year, didn't he? Oh, I, I don't he know. Did. Jonas Blix at one fifty to one. Yeah, forget that. Um, Ernie Els at two fifty to one. Forget that too. Ernie Char- Els doesn't feel like winning anymore. Boy KJ Choi at three hundred to one. I've seen worse than that. Rio Ishikawa at three hundred to one. Yeah, is he alive anymore? <laughs> Ben Martin was 250 to 1. VJ Singh 500 to 1. I'm telling everybody to put $5 on VJ Singh just for the fun of it. That I mean, I, I can say confidently that I'm I'm, I'm quite confident he's not going to win, but damn, that sounds like a fun bet. I just throw a dollar on him. He's playing well. He's won at the course before. 500 to 1 for VJ Singh. You're not going to win, but you might win. Can does golf betting work? Can you Bet on golf the way you do on horse racing, where you can place on somebody to finish top two, top three, top five. Or is yes, you can. It's not the same as horse racing, but there are top five, top ten, top twenty bets. So you can't place on you make there make the cut. You can't bets. place on Bubba Watson to show. <laughs> he does look like a horse, doesn't <laughs> yeah, he? he does. 
<laughs> as far as I know in golf, the, the standard bets that you see in the bigger casinos are going to be win, cut, top 10, maybe top 5, yeah. and maybe top 20. Okay. So top 10 and cut are the... And there's head-to-heads, which yeah. are also a lot of fun. Well, when we do this betting for the uh, for the podcast where we place all of our wagers, we'll have to do everything to win. Just because that, that seems like the easiest. I disagree. I think you don't want to do it to win? No, we'll do a variety. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Maybe one of us will do, one of us will exclusively go to win. And then the other, actually, you know what? Let's just do it together. And then we'll place a lot of bets to win. And we'll, 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 we'll cover it's, everything. It's going to be laissez-faire. It's going to be very French. And then, uh, yeah, and then we'll be coming back with a brand new podcasting studio from the thousands of dollars that we'll be winning. Oh, my God. And that'll be just, just fantastic. That's right. Um, all right. As we transition a little bit, um, Today was the first round of the WGC at Trump Doral. I'm not familiar with that person. <laughs> um, oddly enough, the big three, or three of the big four, uh, are playing together for the first two rounds at Doral when you have Spieth, Day, and McElroy all playing together today uh, and tomorrow mm-hmm. for the first two rounds of the WGC Cadillac Championship. Um, the first round is in the books. The leader among those three is Mr. Jordan Spieth. Oddly enough, so at, at Doral, a course that actually rewards people that hit the ball a long, long ways. Um, guy made five birdies, ended up at three under today, shot a 69. I think he's a couple strokes behind, was it Scott Piercy, I think, is the leader today after one round, um, which is pretty damn good. I mean, he beat out Daya McElroy, who both hit the ball substantially longer than he does. Um, it, it's interesting. W- w- what do you think about Spieth's chances this weekend at Doral? Anytime Spieth starts out well, he has a good chance. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think the the Northern Trust seventy nine is probably an aberration. Yeah, he's got a little bit of rest, so you you can't ever bet against Spieth. What did McElroy and Day shoot? Do you know? Let's see here. Um, McElroy was three under through seventeen, uh, but then he threw it in the water on the last hole and took a double bogey and finished at one under seventy one, mm. and. Uh, it appears Jason Day had a little bit of a roller coaster um, type round. I guess he was a little bit sick. He was dealing with some flu Is symptoms. Is that guy ever healthy? I, I don't know. He had four birdies Typhoid and four Mary. bogeys uh, and shot 72. Okay. Well, those those are pretty decent rounds. They're all within they're all, a tight, tight pack. They're all in the mix. Um, but seeing those three play together, that alone would be worth the price of admission to be able to go all the way to Doral. Oh, of course. That, that would be fantastic. Be fantastic. I think Spieth stands a great chance. But like you said, it does seem like a course that suits the longer hitters a little bit more mm-hmm. than him. Well, oddly enough, they, they actually have odds here as of the 3rd, which is, you know, the 3rd of March is today. I love it. So I don't know if it's pre or post first round, but uh, the odds right now, McElroy is still favored to win. Even that one under after, you know, one round. One under is not bad. At nine, he's at 9-1, to one, Spieth's at 10-1. to one. Adam Scott at twelve to one, Bubba Watson twelve to one, DJ twelve to one, and Jason Day at thirteen to one. That sounds like a lot of parody to me. <laughs> That'd be great. It's it's crazy that uh, nobody's at better than nine to one for this weekend. Yet at the Masters, you have guys at you know five and a half to you know, eleven to two, five and a half to one, whatever. It's the shorter field, I guess. Must be the I, explanation. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. But even so, none of the long shots ever win at the mass or at at these major tournaments like the WGC. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to figure. Anyway, well, it's exciting. I look forward to watching some golf this weekend. If uh, if I can ever just park myself in front of a TV and forget about the rest of life, <laughs> which is what we all hope to do. <laughs> that is very good. Well, speaking of the rest of life, uh, oh, no. allow me to go on a bit of a tangent here because since the. Um, since the course is the tournament this weekend is being played at Doral, which is owned by some dude who's been in the news. Um, yeah, l- l- let me go off on the rails here a little bit. Thoughts on the recent developments in the presidential primaries? We had Super Tuesday a couple week or a couple days ago. Couple days ago, yeah. Um, I still can't believe that Donald Trump is likely going to be the re- Republican candidate. It's I I was one of the people like most people who thought that something would come up that would end it for him. Right. I think that was pretty common. Uh, it I think anybody certainly was. I guess it was uh, delusional, <laughs> which is hard to believe because this really is unprecedented. There are a lot of things that are unprecedented about it. Mm-hmm. There have been weird candidates in the past and candidates who were kind of extreme and kind of strange, but none of them has been this 
extreme and strange. And none of them has had so little experience ever. Uh, maybe with anything I mean, remotely related to politics. <laughs> right. Nominees <laughs> nominees of fringe parties have had less experience than Donald Trump in terms of, you know, flirting with politics. But in terms of people who have actually become president, which is a good cross-section of major party nominees, mm-hmm. I think all but two or three held elective office before they were president. Yeah. And I th- you know one of them was probably George Washington who didn't hold <laughs> office before and then he and even he might have held office in Virginia, I'm not sure. And then a couple of the other ones like I think Taft and somebody else, they were in the cabinet or they were judges. So for somebody to have so little experience with government and this close to the presidency is really remarkable. You would think that would be enough to do it, um, but it isn't. It, it's a strange year. People have started to feel, I guess, so betrayed by the system that they just don't care anymore. Yeah, there's a ton of economic insecurity. President Obama did a very good job at, at keeping the worst of things from happening and and putting everybody back on the right trajectory. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that incomes for the middle 60-70% of the country have not gone up enough to keep pace with prices and living expenses and rent and the expenses of childcare, everything. So there are a lot of people out there who are less the economy is doing okay and their jobs are in less jeopardy but they don't have a lot of money and they're tremendously vulnerable to financial catastrophe so they are nervous and these people feel like the democratic party really hasn't done a good enough job protecting them and the extent to which the democratic party deserves the blame for that is debatable and then the republican party they like the kind of idea behind the Republican Party that there's going to be lower taxes and all that kind of stuff, but they they also are scared of cuts to programs that protect them. Hmm. And they are in no way in agreement with the Republican elite view that taxes on the rich should be reduced and taxes on capital gains and... uh, you know, the estate tax, that those should be reduced. So there is a big appetite out there in the country for a kind of political platform that doesn't exist right now, that neither party supports, which is an aggressive defense of those people. And it's a weird marriage of things, but it's it's referred to, for lack of a better word, as populism, mm-hmm. where you protect the programs that help people like that that are not tailored to helping people from disadvantaged minority groups those programs they still hate Mm -hmm. but programs like social security medicare even medicaid people you know are are squeamish about cutting those yeah but then raising taxes on the rich or keeping them where they are and then cutting taxes on everybody else uh aggressively limiting immigration to reduce competition for jobs. That's the main reason people hate immigration in that category. Besides, there there is certainly a racism factor, but yeah. it's impossible to tell the two apart. And I think without the economic malaise <laughs> that people wouldn't be so worried about the immigration factor. Yeah. So there, it's a it's a defensive, put up the fortifications, let's keep what we have, let's keep everybody else from getting more mm. attitude. And the Republican Party isn't willing to do that because they don't support raising taxes on the rich by a dime. So, so somebody else has to advocate for it. There's just such a small percentage of Americans that would be affected by that that I, I guess I just don't quite understand everybody's... It's a small percentage of Americans, and the majority of Americans support raising taxes on the wealthy, although everybody draws the line differently about what makes a household wealthy. And mm-hmm. But the people who donate to Republican candidates and 
the people. They are the ones that would be affected by such a... Of course. Yeah. And so Donald Trump has carved out a unique policy position among Republicans. And it, it is a middle ground in a lot of ways between the Democratic and the Republican parties. Although in certain respects, it's more extreme to the right than either party would be willing to go. Mm-hmm. The problem that the Democratic candidate might face if the Democratic candidate is Hillary Clinton, which after Super Tuesday, it's looking more and more like that's going to be the case. Definitely. Is that she would have a pretty clear race to run against Trump, but she would run the risk of him actually somehow managing to get to the left of her on the economy, Mm -hmm. which would be devastating, uh, potentially. Yeah. Because the temperament arguments against him are, are, are strong, but... The knocks against Hillary might be that she's a little bit too trigger-happy and that she is a little bit too friendly with Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And Trump somehow has managed to make those two things a pretty prominent feature of of his break with the Republicans. I mean, Trump literally works five yards off of Wall Street when he's not running for president. That's right. Is is he not in with the the lads and ladies of, of Wall Street at... He he probably is, but he has shown a willingness that is uncommon among Republicans to say that he'll support the safety net, to say that he won't cut this, he won't cut that, that he won't immediately gut all banking regulations that the Obama administration has put in place. Mm-hmm. Who knows how he'll actually govern, and that's really the thing about him. He's a total charlatan, so he could really do anything in office. But He has flip-flopped. In terms of his policy on a lot of stuff, a decent amount of stuff, on pretty much everything. So, but but people seem not to trust Hillary on the issue, and if he can somehow run to the left of her on that, it'll be a bit of an exposure for her. But we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Anyway, if you had a choice for the Republican nominee, if you could support one that it, I had to, it, that I had to vote for, yeah. If you have said you know if you're a registered Republican, is there Man, does anybody in there actually? Would you feel comfortable having the country led by any of the Republican um, contestants, mm-hmm. if you will? Mm-hmm. Not so much, huh? <laughs> I guess John Kasich. Yeah, uh, he's by no means a liberal. No, but I not. think he would probably have. He only the seems liberal because the party has gone so far to the right. I think that, that he he seems like the guy I would pick because he seems like he takes it seriously and that he's level-headed. Yeah. yeah. It, I, I appreciate that kind of attitude. He loves Ohio. Yeah, he, he does. He yeah. does love Ohio. Yeah, who doesn't? Well, with everything you know transpiring the way that it did this past Tuesday, where where is this thing going? I mean, it, are, are, is it almost locked up that it's going to be Hillary it and Donald? Is. It really is. <sighs> the scenario that some people are putting out there is that Kasich will win Ohio and that Rubio might win Florida and that Cruz will pick off some states like Kansas and some other places and that through a combination of things like that, that Donald Trump won't get the outright majority of delegates going into the convention. Mm -hmm. He would get what's called a plurality of delegates, which would mean he would have the most, but he wouldn't have more than half of all of them. Right. That would mean that on the first vote at the convention, Donald Trump would not get the nomination. And what happens in those circumstances is that on the second vote, the delegates are free from their obligations that they Mm. are obligated to vote under on the first ballot. Right. In theory, they could vote for anybody. They could vote for somebody who didn't even run. They could vote for President Obama if they all (laughs) lost their minds. (laughs) So... The, the the idea would be that maybe every other person who had delegates like Kasich and Cruz and, and Rubio would join forces and throw all their support to a different person or to one of them. Mm-hmm. And that that person would have over 50% because Trump would have the rest and that they would get the nomination. I don't think that's going to happen. No. Trump, first of all, has at least a 50-50 shot of getting the majority. Even if he doesn't, it would be a political earthquake 
for them to deny the nomination from somebody who got the most delegates, right? no matter how many delegates that is. And Trump would run as a third party, and that would be its own incredibly weird scenario. That would be the most hilarious yeah. outcome of all this. That that. Well, so here's <laughs> here's a little tidbit for the listeners, and some some people probably already noticed this or know this. The Constitution talks about what happens when nobody gets a majority of votes in the Electoral College mm-hmm. for the president, the presidential election. Imagine Trump runs, and then a Republican runs, and Hillary Clinton runs, and say that Hillary Clinton doesn't get. 270 electoral votes because Trump wins a couple of big states somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's not that the person with the most electoral votes would win the election. It goes to the House of Representatives. Oh. And every state gets one vote. Oh. And because the the (laughs) delegations to the House are probably 30 to 35 states majority Republican. Oh, no. The Republican would win in that scenario, even though the Republican could be the person who gets the fewest electoral votes uh, or or at least would, would trail Hillary Clinton. But under no circumstances would the House vote for a Democrat, even if that was the will of the people. Jesus. So that's what would happen, and we would have a, a strange scenario. <sighs> that is fascinating and terrifying all at the same time. It's exciting. Wow. So do you think after this week, is is Bernard done? Well, he, he doesn't really have a realistic path to the nomination. Hmm. Some people are, are waiting for Hillary Clinton to be indicted for the ma- the <laughs> email. I, I doubt that'll happen. And even if that happens, it'll be tough for Bernie to win. So yeah. we'll see when he drops out. If he drops out, he, he could choose to fight it for the long haul. But I think he's run a very classy campaign for the most part. And Agreed. he's uh, doing a nice job. So he might choose to stay in it to keep that message out there and to keep from disappointing his supporters too much and to provide for a, a nice orderly transition of the party. And I'm sure, sure he'll do a very classy uh, sort of transition and he'll get to extract some concessions from Hillary, which is completely fair for mm-hmm. him to sort of get on board for the general election. He's, sure. he's earned it, and, and I, I would anticipate seeing that in the next month. Yeah. I I would too. It's just it is a little bit fascinating to see that the right's extreme candidate, non-establishment candidate, has been so successful, but the left's sort of quasi-extreme candidate did not enjoy the same success because it would seem it would seem that you know people are voting for Trump because they're tired and they're fed up, and you know by the same let's guideline you would think they'd be voting for Bernie in the same kinds of droves, but it just wasn't the case. Let's think of a scenario where it's not just Hillary or where there were other stronger Democrats Mm -hmm. in the wings, like Biden. Mm -hmm. Let's say Biden had chosen to run. We could very well be dealing with a situation where Sanders was winning because he's taking splitting the votes that Hillary has between him and that's right. That makes sense. So we could have a thing where Bernie's getting forty, Hillary's getting thirty, and. Biden's getting 30. So if you think if the, the Republican race was just down to two nominees, let's just say Rubio and, always, and Trump. Yeah, that's the fantasy. The Rubio would probably actually. Yes, I think Rubio would probably win in that scenario. Yeah. Uh, but we're not going to get there. No. I mean, among Rubio th- won a single state on Super Tuesday. He, that's crazy. He has one win so far. Cruz has four and uh, nobody else has any. So... Cruz has been so saying strange. today that Rubio should drop out, and it's fair enough. Uh, well, I, think, I think Ted Cruz should drop out. Well, yeah. <laughs> so this is the, it's a game theory problem where all of the Republicans who aren't Trump would be better off if one person was going up against them, but they can't pick who that is. And Mitt Romney today gave the scathing speech about how Donald Trump is unfit to be president and for 75 different reasons, besmirching his character. But then... Did Mitt Romney endorse anybody? He did not. Hmm. He said, vote for whoever has the best chance in your state. If you live in Ohio, vote for John Kasich. If you live in Florida, vote for Marco Rubio. If you live in Kansas or wherever else, vote for Ted Cruz. Deny Donald Trump delegates. That was what Romney advised. Hmm. That might be correct, but that is really P U S S Y style of going about it and it's the it's the problem that the party has been facing this whole time is that they can't figure out how to clear the path for somebody to challenge trump and trump is popular 
<sighs> it's what the fuck is this? What, what, what kind it's of dystopian? It's great. Society are I we love living it. in twenty sixteen? I love it. It's so interesting. It just uh, I, it, I, it, it I, makes me wonder how we even do a golf podcast when all of this shit is going on. And uh, to you, you could talk about this for tw- you know every waking minute of the day and I, still I'm, not have enough time to cover everything that's going on in this thing. I'm hoping Donald shows up at Doral. I hope so as well. It'll be interesting. Will he can't though? Can he's, he? He's busy. No. <laughs> There's a debate tonight as we speak. It's uh, about ah, to start that uh, is true. on uh, Fox News, I believe, with n- Megan Kelly. 9 o'clock East Coast time, so six. So it's actually currently a quarter past five Pacific Standard Time here, so it's going to get started about 45 minutes from now. Well, everybody enjoy. Yeah, it's going to be good. Any other uh, hot takes no, concerning the no, uh, no. political landscape and uh, the Super Tuesday well, the, and everything like that? The only other thing is that I'm disappointed that I didn't get any money into a political prediction betting account because uh, that's a whole thing too just like fantasy golf totally and i'm not sure i would have made money this year because i <laughs> definitely would have shorted the donald trump thing totally uh, and i would have lost on that but uh i'm curious i would have probably bet against the sanders thing and i would have made a little money on that so i i, I pay attention to this and anything you pay attention to you might as well put your money in there totally yeah totally well that's awesome man well let's see here now that uh, political speak is all wrapped up, any other uh, thoughts or, or you know anything you'd like to share regarding the world of golf and the uh, the WGC this weekend before we, we take off? Just that I'm excited about the awesome field and uh, looking forward to maybe watching the highlights around one and seeing the rest of it and hoping my boy Jordan Spieth can bring it home and uh, defeat Scott Piercy, the, uh, the Dark Knight. Powerful Scott Piercy. Yes. <laughs> awesome. All right, well, Kasem, thank you very much for another thank glorious, you, beautiful, lovely week. Uh, to everybody out there listening, thank you for uh, taking the time and joining us on the Golf Guide podcast. Don't forget to visit golfguide.net. Save 30 to 70% off greens fees at courses all over California. we got a lot of cool stuff uh, waiting in the wings here. We're actually in the middle of building a brand-new website that will give you guys even more access to more golf courses at even better deals. So don't remember, or don't forget, rather, golfguide.net. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next week.